helping to secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. This is the Constitution Study on the America Out Loud Network with your host, Paul Engel. Article 1, Section 4, Clause 2 of the Constitution states, The Congress shall assemble at least once a year. Oh, how I wish the problem with Congress is trying to get them to meet at least once a year. It almost seems as if Congress is constantly in session, either spending our money or finding new and interesting ways to infringe on our rights. On the other hand, most states only have their legislative sessions for a few weeks or maybe a couple of months. And in some cases, they only do so every other year or so. These state legislative sessions often bring about a flurry of bills submitted for their consideration. And these bills often make me think about state sovereignty. As I look closer, though, the question of sovereignty in the United States is not what we've been taught. Well, hello there, Everyday Americans. Paul Engel here with the Constitution Study, where we read and study the Constitution, teach the rising generation to be free. I'm glad you could join me today. We're going to look at this idea of state sovereignty versus federal sovereignty. It's been in the news for a while, especially dealing with Texas, which we're certainly going to talk about. But it got me thinking about this whole idea of, of sovereignty. See, to understand this, we need to really understand what is sovereignty. What does the word sovereign mean? Well, according to Webster's 1828 Dictionary, a sovereign is a supreme lord or ruler, one who possesses the highest authority without control. Now, think about that for a second. In the United States, who is sovereign? Who established everybody else? See, we had an example where, where Donald Trump um, was in court suing saying that uh, he could not be charged with certain crimes because when he was president, he was sovereign. He had a sovereign immunity from prosecution for the acts he took as president. But there's a problem. See, if you look at the Constitution, the president is not sovereign. Of course, then we have this, this brouhaha between Texas and, and Department of Homeland Security, in which the, the legal attaché, some legal weenie at, at DHS, claimed that um, effectively the federal government was sovereign because of the Supremacy Clause. The fact that he only quoted out of context the part of the Supremacy Clause that he thought would make his case really shouldn't surprise anybody. But it get me thinking. Because there was one other thing, I, I've, I've been dealing with some comments on, on YouTube, which has been weird lately. It hasn't allowed me to comment on certain articles of my own, which is really weird. But um, it, it really got into a question of, of sovereignty and responsibility. So hopefully by the end of this, I'll make uh, a, a bit more sense of what I'm talking about. I'll, I'll explain, I'll expand on what I'm talking about. Of ultimately, who in the United States is sovereign? I've been talking about Texas. Let's take a look at what's been going on at Texas. So of course, um, again, I'm not right up on the news. I'm, I'm intentionally a few days behind because I want a chance to, to investigate and digest and, and let things come about. But by now, you know about Eagle Pass and the fact that um, the state of Texas took over Shelby Park and denied the Border Patrol uh, agents in the park to... Um, process arrests and send away people who've entered this country illegally. 
And the whole Bruhan, of course, you had the razor wire that was set up, and you had the DHS cutting the razor wire, and then a court said, no, you can't, and then they said, yes, you can, and there's a whole lot of stuff going on. Well, recently the Supreme Court, um, I know a lot of people have said that the Supreme Court has authorized the um, DHS, the, the federal government, to cut down the razor wire. They didn't exactly do that. You see, there was an injunction against the um, uh, the United States cutting down the wire. The state of Texas put up the wire, state of the United States cut it, the state of Texas sued, the uh, district court said, no, the federal government has the authority to do this. The circuit court said, and I should say, the district court issued an injunction. Right? They haven't. No one's decided anything yet. Basically, the, the district court uh, told Texas, no, you can't have your injunction to stop them from doing this while this case goes through the court system. The uh, circuit court said, yes, Texas, you can, and that would prevent the federal government from cutting the razor wire. Well, recently the Supreme Court said, no, we're vacating that circuit court order and uh, sending the case back for more stuff. So nothing's been decided yet. We're dealing with injunctions at this point. So now everyone's saying, oh, you see, the federal government, they can come in and do this, except one problem. See, the state of Texas, they're pushing back. You see, the, the state of Texas, Lieutenant Governor Chris Olivares, Olivares um, to uh, Xed or tweeted or whatever you call a stupid thing now. The state of Texas under Governor Greg Abbott's Operation Lone Star will maintain its current posture in deterring illegal border crossings by utilizing effective border security measures, reinforced Constantino wire, and anti-climber barriers along the Rio Grande. In other words, okay, the court said, uh, no, you don't have an injunction against the feds, but we're going to keep doing it. So, of course, a lot of people are going, oh, my God, oh, my God, constitutional crisis. What are we going to do? Some people are saying that Texas is now acting illegally because how dare you not listen to the Supreme Court? It even has the word Supreme in its name. Well, let's turn the rhetoric down a little bit and ask ourselves a couple of questions. First, what did the Supreme Court actually do? All they said was, listen, the injunction against against the federal government from cutting the razor wire is gone. They vacated it. So there's no court order telling the feds, don't do this anymore. That's all that's happened. But we have to get into a very important point here. And there's, there's, there's I'm actually doing some research for another article that uh, may, may go into some of this deeper. I'm still fleshing out some details. But there's a very important point to understand here. And that is, in the United States, we truly have a form of dual sovereignty. Now, not the way the courts use it. The courts use dual sovereignty to say there are two sovereigns over the same matter. Um, that's an oxymoron. Right? If a sovereign is the uh, uh, supreme ruler, you can't have two supremes. Right? Uh, it, it doesn't work that one is going to supersede the other. So the, the way we have dual sovereignty is they are sovereign over different areas. And this is a this is actually a, a very um, to me it's an important point to understand, and we find this in uh, well we find it in the Tenth Amendment to the Constitution, which says the powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution nor prohibited by it to the states are reserved to the states respectively or to the people. Now what that means is the federal government is sovereign 
only under the powers delegated to it by the Constitution. Right? So if the Constitution says, federal government, Congress, you can coin money, the federal government's sovereign over the coining of money. Um, the Constitution says that um, the states choose the manner of, of, of elections, although it can be regulated by the federal government. You have a little bit of an overlap there. But when you take something like uh, education, it's not a power delegated to the United States. It's not prohibited by the Constitution of the states. So as far as the Constitution of the United States, that is a power where the states are sovereign, right? So you have United States sovereign over some things, the states sovereign over other things, and never really the two meet. Well, I can't say never. It's extremely rare when the two meet, right? Because like I said, um, elections for Senate and House of Representatives is a little bit of a, a meeting of the minds there. But that's a very small point. Now, why is this important? Well, if you read the Constitution, nothing in the Constitution delegates to the United States the power to regulate immigration. I'm going to say that again because I know a lot of people don't believe me. The Constitution delegates to Congress the ability to create a uniform form, um, method of naturalization, the becoming of a citizen, but it says nothing about immigration. So here we have a situation where the federal government has made immigration law. Well, problem number one, they didn't have the authority to make a national immigration law. Now, whether or not they should is a whole nother question. I'm talking about specifically about what the Constitution says they are sovereign over, what the United States is sovereign over. So here we have a question of sovereignty. In the question of the border on the Rio Grande River that runs along, that, that, is, that is the border of Texas, who is sovereign? And since the Constitution doesn't say uh, the United States is, and it doesn't say the states cannot, well then, that sovereignty goes to the states. That's the way the, 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 the federal system we have is supposed to work. Unless we delegate the power to the United States, they don't have it. They're not sovereign over it. So to all of those who complain that, Cong that the, the, the state of Texas is, is violating the Constitution, no, they're not. And for everyone out there who listened to DHS and said, oh, it's a violation of the Supremacy Clause, let's look at the Supremacy Clause, Article 6, Clause 2. This Constitution and the laws of the United States which shall be made in pursuance thereof, and all treaties made or which shall be made under the authority of the United States, shall be the supreme law of the land. So notice, the Constitution is the supreme law of the land. Only laws of the United States made following, pursuant to the Constitution, are also considered the supreme law of the land. So if Congress made a law regarding immigration, which is not a power delegated to them, that law was not made pursuant to the Constitution, it's not part of the supreme law of the land. And for everybody who's having a conniption over disregarding the Supreme Court's opinion, well, their action, right, they're vacating, um, remember, the courts, nowhere are the courts part of the Supreme Law of the Land. We'll read it. It's the Constitution. It's the laws made pursuant to the Constitution. It's treaties made uh, under the authority of the United States, which is established by the Constitution. So the courts are not the Supreme Law of the Land, at least according to the Constitution. 
But there's another little twist I want to throw in here because, again, people don't think about it. You go all the way back to the preamble, the, the very first words in the Constitution, the, the introduction. It says, we the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States. See, the people of the United States ordain and establish a constitution. We did it through our states, which we created through their own constitutions. But if you're looking at this, if there is a sovereign in this country, it's we the people. You see, the United States was created by the states, right, when they ratified the constitution. It's the, the people, I'm sorry, it's the states that have, are the only entity that can legally change the, the Constitution and the powers of the United States. But those states are creations of we the people through their own constitutions. So if you're talking about sovereignty in the United States, the ultimate sovereign is the people as a whole. You see, again, if we ordain and establish the constitutions of our states, we establish the powers and the boundaries of our states, and it's up to us to hold them accountable. In the same way, the states established, the, ratified the Constitution of the United States, creating what we now call the federal government, setting its boundaries and its limitations, and it's up to them to keep their creation in control. So if I go back to the definition of sovereign, supreme lord or ruler, one who possesses the highest authority without control, I don't say we truly have a sovereign. Because we don't have a lord or a ruler. And even we the people, as a highest authority, we have control. We've established states that create laws and the United States that create laws that control us. So there is no sovereign in the United States. Not in the purely technical purpose of the word, definition of the word. If, however, we look at the legal definition of a sovereign... Right? The, the chief ruler with supreme power. Well, then, as the Free Legal Dictionary states, in the United States, the sovereignty resides in the body of the people. We as a group are sovereign. Now, again, we're not truly sovereign, but we are the supreme power. Ultimately, all power is inherent in the people. We delegate it to governments to exercise on our behalf. Sovereignty resides with the body of the people. Now, before you go getting a swelled head, uh, finding a crown and a scepter, realize this. See, we often talk about sovereignty as power, but truly, it's responsibility. I know it's a, I have a unique way of looking at things, but I don't see power as something to be exercised. It is a responsibility you have to others. The United States has the responsibility to in, in, enforce the powers that have been delegated to, to, the, to it for the uh, benefit of the union. A state has the responsibility to exercise the power delegated to it to fulfill its role to protect the rights of its citizens. And as the body of, of people are sovereign in the United States, it means we have a responsibility to hold our elected officials accountable. See, with all this talk of power, we forget, in reality, 
sovereignty is not about the ability to enforce your will on others. It's who and what you have responsibility for. Maybe if we took more of a responsibility look at the, uh, the, the sovereignty of our states and our nation, maybe we would exercise that responsibility better. Now, as I mentioned, I've, I've been noodling an idea for an article that kind of revolves around sovereignty and states and all that. And I write a lot of stuff. And you can find all the stuff I work on at the website constitutionstudy.com. Of course, you can comment. You can ask a question. If you have something you'd like me to cover, well, simply go to the website and ask. If you have a topic you'd like me to answer here on the radio, simply go to the website and ask. It's why I do that. I want to be able to, to give you an opportunity to have your questions answered to the best of my ability. Now, to do that takes a lot of work. And if I'm going to remain healthy, I need to get a good night's sleep. I've tried things like like melatonin or or uh, other sleep aids, and you know, sometimes they just they leave me groggy in the morning. They, they don't necessarily work real well. Well, I found this product that allows me to get a good night's sleep, to calm my mind, to reduce stress, so I can fall asleep, and wake up the next morning without worrying about hormones disrupting my cycle or chemicals interfering with my work. It's called Restful Sleep, and it comes from the wellness company. It's backed by documented research. It's vetted by the chief medical board of the wellness company. And since you are an America Out Loud listener, you can get 25% off Restful Sleep and all the products from the, the wellness company, including your first month of membership, if you use the code out loud. Find all the details you need at americaoutloud.shop, but be sure to use that code out loud. It lets them know that you listen to America Out Loud. And as a thank you, You get 25% off your products and off your first month of membership. World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company launched the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. The Wellness Company's chief medical board designed every supplement and medical protocol with your health in mind. From groundbreaking supplements like the Spike Support Formula to unique care like Freedom from Big Pharma. Join a healthcare system that puts your health and well-being above the interest of Big Pharma's bottom line. It's the way healthcare should be, with a company that shares your values. Go to outloudcare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. The pandemic may be over for some, but millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-haul effects of toxic spike protein from COVID-19 and the vaccines. You've heard Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company discuss the harmful effects of spike protein in your body. And now they found the solution, the miracle enzyme natokinase. Their spike support formula contains natokinase, the most compelling and scientifically supported approach to safely clear spike protein out of the body. What's more, spike support is optimized with other all-natural, non-GMO ingredients, like dandelion root, to help prevent spike protein from binding to your cells. Everyone should take daily spike support so you can feel your best. America Out Loud listeners can go to outloudcare.com today 
and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Oral hygiene hasn't changed in 50 years, but our diet and the way we eat has, creating an environment in your mouth for bacteria to wreak havoc on your teeth and gums. For better oral health, get Spry Dental Defense, an oral care line designed to combat acid-creating bacteria. The toothpaste, mouthwash, mints, and gum all contain xylitol, a natural ingredient shown to dramatically improve oral health. Spry can be found online and at all fine natural retailers. Welcome back, Everyday Americans. You have rejoined the Constitution study today. We're talking about sovereignty, state sovereignty, federal sovereignty, and understanding both the the legal and and textual definitions of those words and and how they apply within the United States. Uh, The first segment I spent mostly on describing sovereignty, and and I did talk quite a bit about the brouhaha between Texas and Department of Homeland Security and understanding the sovereignty issues there. But the thing I want you to remember, you see, we've been indoctrinated with an inverted understanding of the power structure in this country. We've all been been taught, either intentionally or, or more often, I believe, subliminally, that power comes from Washington, that the states are um, <clears throat> subdivisions of the federal government, the state governments are subdivisions, the state government gets its power from the federal government, can only exercise the power that the federal government allows them to, and then that power eventually rolls down to us, which is completely inverted. It is upside down. It is backwards. Power comes from we, the people. The constitution of most of our states stay, say that all power is inherent. It is part of us. All power is inherent in the people. That We delegate, we loan power to these governments. And every so often, state governments try to push back. Now, I say try because it's not easy to do things on your own. Uh, the, the, in many cases, states may try to push back against an overreaching federal government only to be thwarted in many cases by their own people. But they try nonetheless. A little while back, I talked to you about Kentucky, and there was a House bill, HB 101, that would move towards making gold and silver, treating it as money within the state, meaning it is not subject to sales tax. It is considered a currency, not a product or a commodity. Therefore, selling it, using it, is not subject to the sales tax. Um Kentucky's one of several states. Like I said, they, they, the Senate re- recently introduced a companion bill, Senate Bill 105, which would continue this. And I just simply bring this up to let you know, um, maybe you live in Kentucky and you want to learn more about this. Um, that would not be a half bad idea. Maybe you don't live in Kentucky, but you like the idea and you may find some inspiration in this legislation to send to your state representative to see if your state will do the same thing, because it's important. It is perfectly constitutional for states to use gold and silver coin as money. That's what the Constitution says. Under Article 1, Section 10, no state shall enter any treaty, alliance, or confederation, grant letters of marquee or reprisal, coin money, emit bills of credit, make anything but gold and silver coin a tender and payment of debts. So, Kentucky and these other states are well within their rights to create their own, you know, to use gold and silver as money. They cannot coin their own money, but they can use gold and silver as money. 
the, again, the next interesting step for me is, okay, we're not going to tax it. We're going to consider it money. Now, how do we set it up so it could be used as money? Meaning uh, people are probably not going to walk around with gold and silver coins in their pockets. We've gotten used to things like credit cards and debit cards. So a, a depository of some sort where people can exchange their U.S. dollars for gold that's held in deposit at these depositories and that you can write checks or pay bills online or, or use a debit or credit card, the debit card in this case, that would um, basically sell your gold to cover the dollar cost of what you're purchasing. Um, that, to me, that's a very powerful move because the stranglehold that the federal government has on the U.S. dollar, on our monetary policy, has been disastrous. So to see the states push back, now, in, you take a state like Kentucky. I'm not familiar with Kentucky politics or all that, but okay, you've got a Senate bill and you have a House bill. Uh, how many citizens of Kentucky are contacting their state senator and their state rep saying, we like this idea? Or maybe we'd like it tweaked a little way, this way or that. How many of these citizens of Kentucky are supporting the push by their representatives to treat bullion as money? To treat, uh, I think they're going to include not just bullion as you think about it, big bricks, but also um, it's defined as uh, uh, coins. um, That's basically where, where the value is based on the value of the metal not a a fiat currency. See, that's the thing, is if you want Kentucky to do their job, you have to do your job. Remember, sovereignty is responsibility. If Kentucky is going to take on the responsibility, fulfill its responsibility to protect the rights of its citizens, including the right to not have their money debased constantly, well, then the citizens of the state need to take the responsibility to support their legislators and eventually their executives uh, when they when they push this legislation forward and they get the inevitable pushback from the uh, federal supremacists that believe D.C. controls everything. Uh, speaking of that, there are other states uh, that I've talked about that have take, taken moves to not consider um, central bank digital currencies as money. Uh, well, guess what? Uh, Mississippi has entered the fray. We have H Bill uh, HB 303, um, House Bill 303, that would change the definition of, or I should say, it, it, it changes uh, their commerce law to say that, uh, in, in where they define money, they say the term money does not include a central bank digital currency. So again, this is uh, this is important for all those people who are concerned about a a centralized digital currency that is by definition programmable. Now, what do I mean? It means they can play with the numbers. They mean you know the example I like to use is every pretty much every one of us have gone to the gas station, and you've stuck your credit card in the machine, and it says authorizing. And then it turns on the pump and you purchase your gas. Well, when it says authorizing, the pump is contacting the, uh, the, the credit card company to make sure you have funds available on your credit limit to cover a regular gasoline purchase. 
what happens when that authorization is not a credit card company? What happens when it's the federal government or it's it's offshoot, the Federal Reserve, which contrary to, to what you've been told, they're not an apolitical system. They are not an independent bank. They're basically a, a corporation run by the federal government. What happens when they're the ones that are authorizing it? What happens when they decide, you know what? Um, not only are we concerned with whether or not you have funds in your account, but we don't like the fact of how much gas you've used lately. So we're going to restrict your gas purchases or your food purchases or your guns and ammo purchases. But let's stay with the gas purchase. See, today, if you go and you swipe your card and it comes back declined, well, there's a couple things you can do. You can go to a different card. The MasterCard doesn't work, try the Visa. If none of those work, guess what? You can reach into your pocket, you can pull out cash, and you can pay cash for your gasoline. What happens when those options disappear? See, the idea of, oh, okay, um, I can't pull out cash because all I have is this, this debit card for my CBDCs. And somebody else gets to authorize this. Now, of course, they'll use all sorts of flowery language about how, how convenient it will be to not have to carry that dirty, filthy money. No, no, no. Just carry another card and life will be wonderful. They say how, how easy it will be. See, we'll be able to fight crime because we'll be able to, to track uh, finances and spending much, much, much more easily. In fact, the, uh, the I forget the actual title. One of the heads at the European Central uh, Central Bank was talking about, oh, yeah, CBDCs are great. Of course it involves control. Sure, we'll let you use your money without our oversight for, you know, a couple of hundred of euros. But we'll allow you to. See, CBDCs are extremely dangerous because they allow more control. Well, Mississippi says, uh-uh, a CBDC is not money within this state. Now, Here's the interesting thing. It doesn't, if, as I understand it, it doesn't mean you cannot use a CBDC in the state. It means you can't be forced to accept a CBDC in the state. Meaning that gas station proprietor, when you walk up and say, uh, yeah, I want to buy something and, and here's my C, I, I don't take those. You cannot be forced to use one, right? They, they can't tell you that, oh no, your only option is to use a CBDC. That's what they're trying to push back. And again, this is that, that sovereignty question. Because while the United States, the Congress, has all the authority they need to create a CBDC, to coin digital money, the states have similar authority to say, yeah, but we're going to allow something else to be used as money. We're not going to require you to use that as money. And again, we're dealing with a federalist system where the states can decide for themselves exactly how they want to deal with this within the, uh, the limitations established by the Constitution of their state and of the United States. Now, when you talk about tracking, uh, again, there's another attempt to, to track people. The, if you remember last year, there was all this brouhaha, the, uh, um, the merchant code system was being updated to create special merchant codes for firearms, for people who uh, stores that deal in firearms. And of course, 
the Second Amendment community who's really upset about being tracked because, well, let's see, we've had gun registrations, we have licensing, we have all these ways to track us. And then those are sometimes used against us without probable cause. Again, they're told, we're told, oh, we need this information so that if there's a crime, the only problem is what happens when you use it for something that's not a crime. But that's, well, Oklahoma has joined the group of states that have introduced legislation to not allow uh, the, these uh, merchant codes or any system to track the purchase of firearms. Now, the proposed legislation in Oklahoma basically says a person or entity involved in facilitating or processing an electronic, electronic payment transaction, including a payment card issuer or payment card network, may not assign to a merchant or require a merchant to use a firearm code. It goes on to say, for the purposes of sale of firearms, ammunition for use in firearms, and firearm accessories, a firearms retailer may not provide a firearm code to a payment card issuer or payment card network and may only use or uh, and may only use or be assigned a merchant category code for general merchandise retailer or sporting goods retailer any agreement of contra- contractual provisions to the contrary is void that's important that means if if the uh, card company or I should say your your banking system that you know we that gives you the terminal to to, to handle credit cards says, oh no, in our contract, you have to do that. Oklahoma says, nope, that item is void. So it's the idea of saying, you know, we're not going to have these category codes that call out firearms, that point out firearms, that, that treat firearms as something special that needs to be tracked. Because let's face it, firearms are how we protect ourselves. You know, people are worried about uh, those who use firearms for harm they never seem to talk about those people who use firearms for safety to defend themselves to protect themselves which again shows the the interesting mentality because uh, according to the fbi and depending on how you you uh categorize certain certain events um firearms are used between i think it's seven and ten times as often to stop a crime than to actually commit a crime. And the difference is being probably, you know, was the gun fired or not? Sometimes just drawing a weapon is enough to stop a crime. So again, we're seeing the states uh, re- reasserting their sovereignty. This is within our power. This is within our scope. We are going to write laws and we're going to push back when the federal government encroaches on our sovereignty, our, our, our legal authority to, um, to do these things. And another way it's put sometimes is states' rights. Now, I know a lot of people get very upset with the idea of using the, idea, the term states' rights, but if you think about it, if you go back to Webster's 1828 Dictionary, where a right is a, a just immu- a privilege or immunity, well, then states can have rights because they can have a just privilege to do things or an immunity from other things. So these states are doing good things, but I'm going to keep coming back and saying the people of these states need to support those that are promoting this. That means contacting your legislator. It means contacting your, your executive agencies and saying, if this goes into law, we expect you to execute the law, to defend us against these infringements. That's what you've been hired to do. That's what we expect you to do. 
And oh, by the way, we will accept nothing less than you fulfilling your oath to support the Constitution of your state and of the United States. So with that in mind, it's time for me to take a break. Before I go, though, you know, I go over to AmericaOutloud.news every day. It's among my go-to places to look for news and information. And what I do is I take this information, and, and some of it I use for this radio program. Some of it I use for my website. Some of it I use, well, just to share with others. I have a whole section on the website that deals with news I'm sharing. I'm setting up a new mailing list where people can get a daily digest of the news I find interesting. And you can do the same thing. See, we keep talking about knowledge being power, but I keep reminding people, knowledge is not power unless it's put in action. So by going to AmericaOutloud.news, by finding the stories and the articles that, that, that say something important, maybe a podcast or a video where somebody explains an idea better than you ever have before. That is knowledge, but it's not power until you use it, until you do something with it, which means sharing it. See, it's by taking that knowledge and turning it into power, by sharing that information, is the power we need to help secure the blessings of liberty. the year 2024 must be the year of the patriot and americaoutloud.news will equip you with all the information you need to give new meaning to the words patriot act for our actions always ultimately define our words now is our time my fellow americans america out loud talk radio liberty and justice for all. Cofix RX Nasal Solution has completed the circle and is now offering throat spray with povidone iodine. That completes the protocol doctors like Peter McCullough recommend. If staying healthy is important, you'll want to make sure to add throat spray to your next order of Cofix RX. For a limited time and exclusive for America Out Loud listeners only, you can save 25% off your entire order. Let's double down against colds, flus, strep, RSV, HRV, COVID, and more. Click the banner or go to America Out Loud shop to get 25% off your entire order. Use coupon code OUTLOUD25. That's coupon code OUTLOUD25. Trouble concentrating or recalling information is frustrating, embarrassing, and kills productivity. Nutrition company Healthy Cell created Focus and Recall to boost your brain power. And unlike other supplements that don't work, Focus and Recall is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients to help you immediately sharpen focus and strengthen recall. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order, risk-free. Love it or your money back, guaranteed. HealthyCell.com, code out loud. Welcome back, Everyday Americans. You've rejoined the Constitution study, and today we're talking about sovereignty. State sovereignty, federal sovereignty, where they overlap, where they don't overlap, and what they really mean. I've already talked about uh, the issues going on in Texas. I talked about several state legislation that is trying to reassert their sovereignty over things like 
money and and um, commercial transactions. But you really can't talk about sovereignty without talking about elections. We are a republic of republics. Every state is required to have a republican form of government. The United States is a republic. And in order for a republic to work, you must have elections and you must understand them. So when it comes to sovereignty, you need to understand there is not a... I should, the American people do not vote in a single national election. I'm going to say that again. The American people do not vote in a national election. All elections we vote in are state and local elections. In fact, the only national election is when the presidential electors vote for president in December. So, uh, you know, we talk about um, elections for federal office, but those are state elections. So Article 1, Section 4 of the Constitution reads, The times, places, and manner of holding elections for senators and representatives shall be prescribed in each state by the legislature thereof. So even when you're voting for your, your U.S. senator or your House member, that is, a, that is an election, to, the manner of which is determined by the legislature of your state. Now, that, that's not the end. Section 4 goes on to say, but the Congress may at any time by law make, make or alter such regulations except as to the place of choosing senators. Meaning the state may establish by the state legislature the, the rules for uh, electing members of ha- the House, members of Congress. The Congress can alter those regulations, but it, there's, it's still ex- except it's still a state run election it is still the state that's doing the elect that the, the election happens within the state even when by the way when you vote for president by the way pay attention to your ballot because i've noticed a, a, a disturbing trend over the last couple of election cycles you see most people think they vote for president the people don't vote for president the people have never voted for president Sure, you've got this this idea of the national popular vote, and they're trying to push this idea. It gets reported in the news. There are all sorts of polls about it. It does not exist. Why? Because the states elect the president via presidential electors. Article 2, Section 1, Clause 2. Each state shall appoint in such manner as the legislature thereof may direct a number of electors equal to the whole number of senators and representatives to which the state may be entitled in the Congress. Meaning, the states appoint electors for president. Now, the states have all decided to do so primarily based on a popular vote within the state. Most states do a winner-take-all. And oh, by the way, being this is an election year, I'm going to be talking more about this. I'm going to be writing articles about these about the election process. Uh, I know it got me in trouble in 2020, but hey, you do what you do because it's right, not because you, you're sure people aren't going to give you a hard time over it. But the idea of the states control the elections. The states are where the elections happen. So let's take a look at some states that are dealing with issues in the election. Of course, in Maine, we had the Secretary of State decide that um, Donald decide for herself that Donald Trump um, committed insurrection. Therefore, he was ineligible to serve as president under the 14th Amendment. Therefore, she removed him from the primary ballot. Now, there's a lot of issues with that. Um, First of all, primaries are publicly funded elections for private organizations. In other words, 
the Secretary of State of the state of Maine has decided that the members of the, of the Republican Party of Maine don't have the right to choose Donald Trump. They can be denied the right to choose because, again, it's a primary is the, 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 the political party determining who their champion will be. They're saying, nope, you don't have a right to nominate Donald Trump for president because I think he's committed insurrection. Now, the, the, as I understand it, the, straight, the state's uh, Supreme Court has um, put a hold on that until the Supreme Court of the United States uh, weighs in. Because, right? again, we've got, uh, we've got Colorado that, that has a case can't, you know, about the, the, this whole thing. So the, uh, I'm sorry, Superior Court Justice um, in Maine has delayed the, the implementation of the Secretary of State's decision until the Supreme Court has weighed in. Probably a good idea because at this point, the only justification she has is her belief that President Trump has committed insurrection. Because to date, not only has President Trump not been convicted of insurrection, which is not a requirement under the 14th Amendment, he's not even been charged with insurrection. In fact, they... they the House of Representatives threw together an impeachment based on um, on the, the alleged insurrection with no investigation, no evidence, no proof, complete nonsense. But even that, that wasn't a legal charge. That was an, an impeachment. But again, this is, the, I, you know, I look at this as she claims under state law, the decision was brought to her and she made the decision. Oh, so a single person gets to tell everybody in the state of Maine who they can choose as their party, political party champion. Maybe that'd be a good idea for the people of the state of Maine to maybe change that in the future. But I'm going to do, I'm going to talk more about uh, primaries in, in, the, in the coming days. So um, hold on to your hat. Now, Hawaii's taking an interesting twist. Now, this one caught my attention again. Why is it so important to read beyond the headline? Newsweek posted a headline on January 23rd that said Donald Trump could be kicked off another ballot under new bill. Very interesting. Got my attention. So I went um, and I look and here's, again, reading from Newsweek, Democrats in the state have introduced legislation to ban insurrectionists from running for public office as per the 14th Amendment. Okay. Um couple of problems here. Let's start with the latter one, the, uh, per the 14th Amendment. Now, Section 3 of the 14th Amendment does say, no person shall be a senator or representative in Congress or elector of president and vice president or hold any office, civil or military, under the United States or under any state who, having previously taken an oath as a member of Congress, committed insurre- or engaged in insurrection. So what is Hawaii? Does Hawaii, with this bill mean that Donald Trump, have any effect on Donald Trump? Well, in this election, no. Now, i got to be very specific. See, I, I mentioned a problem. The people don't vote for president. They vote for electors for president. And recently, I've seen more and more states lie on their ballots to their citizens. See, they put in the ballot, vote for president. You're not voting for president. You're voting for an elector for president. And Donald Trump is not running for elector, for president. Right? Now, they, they maybe the way they word this, this thing might include 
electors for presidents who've done this, but that's I'd have to look at the details, and I haven't seen the legislation yet. But there's another problem here. It says, okay, it's going to ban insurrectionists from running from public office because the 14th Amendment says you cannot hold office, even at the state level, if you've engaged in insurrection. Here's problem number two. Where's the evidence that Donald Trump engaged in insurrection? There isn't any. It's all made, It's all hearsay. There's, there's, there's no, I mean, he did say people should peacefully protest, but here's that little twist in the 14th Amendment that a lot of people skip over, right? So uh, we, we talk, it talks about, you know, you can't hold any office. Uh, if you've taken an oath to support the Constitution of the United States, shall have engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same. So they would have to show not simply that Donald Trump challenged an election. That, ladies and gentlemen, is not insurrection. It certainly is not insurrection against the Constitution. Even this, the disruption of the, uh, of the counting of the ballots is not insurrection. It certainly is not insurrection. It is not an attempt to replace the Constitution. So this, the, again, this is more political rhetoric and political... Uh, uh, shenanigans, and I, I want the people of Hawaii to understand that, and I want the people of the rest of the country to recognize that as well. Now, a lot of it's going to rest on the decision by the Supreme Court as to whether, in their opinion, Donald Trump actually engaged in an insurrection, and it'll be interesting. I, I actually do not expect the Supreme Court to give us such a clean-cut answer. I expect things to be very muddled and muddy um, and, uh, well, we'll deal with that when the Supreme Court comes to their decision. Now, before I go, I want to give you a couple of examples of why these decisions, this understanding is so important. See, recently, the House of Representatives uh, Committee um, did a forensic analysis of the hard drives from the January 6th committee. The subcommittee said recently that they have determined that 117 files were both deleted and encrypted before the Democrats left. The Democrats left that that committee, and the Republicans took control of Congress. Now, why is that important? If 117 files were encrypted and deleted, in other words, if this information was hidden from the subsequent Congress. Is that not a violation of federal law? There's a records act. The acts of Congress need to be recorded and stored so that they can comply with the FOIA regulations and FOIA laws. But even more than that, is this not obstruction of justice? If someone on the committee intentionally deleted evidence in their investigation... Sounds like obstruction of justice to me. Very interesting when you have all these January 6th people charged with uh, obstructing Congress. Here you see, you appear to have Congress potentially, right? Sounds like, based on their forensic analysis, obstructing justice for political reasons. Why is it so important to understand the limits of sovereignty? Congress did not have the sovereign authority to delete that data. The subcommittee, the committees, they did not have the sovereignty to do so. 
And the this is uh, again looks like a, a an an excellent example of the party dissension, the the animosity that's part of this. We won't allow the city to to go to the next Congress, which by the way will be run by Republicans rather than Democrats. Is that really the best people we can find to represent us? And this one is a bit of a twist, but stay with me. See, the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control Prevention, have labeled or had been labeling articles as misinformation based on their own internal messaging and, and that copies that have been obtained by Epoch Times. For example, the Epoch Times reported on a peer-reviewed uh, paper that found heart inflammation or myocarditis that was common for COVID-19 vaccination victims. <laughs> um they, the CDC labeled this as misinformation. So here's the problem of sovereignty. The CDC is claiming sovereignty over what truth is. And when you disagree with us, that is misinformation. But you see, the CDC doesn't have sovereignty over truth. The federal government doesn't have sovereignty over truth. You want proof? How about the First Amendment? Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or of abridging the freedom of speech or of the press. Congress doesn't have, the United States doesn't have the authority to say, you can't say that because it's not true. Or you cannot publish that because it's not true. Even the labeling. Now listen, they can say, we believe this is wrong, but there can be no legal repercussions for that. Now, the sad part is a lot of people read these, these, uh, uh, this propaganda coming out of the CDC and they believe it. So you remember, I say sovereignty comes with responsibility. The sovereignty to speak and publish freely comes with the responsibility of finding out for yourself what is true. If you hand over the sovereignty of defining truth to another you're enslaved to them. If that other happens to be a government entity, then you're not a, a citizen. You're a subject. You're enslaved to their definitions. And as more and more evidence comes out that the, the CDC, the, F, the FDA, the NIH, the NIAID lied to the American people, covered up information that could have easily protected you cheaply and safely from the effects of COVID, we see them going beyond their sovereign powers. The question is, will the sovereign power of the people of the United States use that sovereignty to both reel in these out-of-control agencies and hold accountable those who violated their sovereignty by lying to the American people? What's the line from Spider-Man? With great power comes great responsibility. Well, that's uh, there's a lot of truth to that. See, the American people have great power. Power is invested in, in it's not a, it's inherent in us, and with that comes a responsibility to use it wisely. Whether that be looking at a state's exercise of the sovereignty we have given them and supporting them as they defend their sovereignty and exercise their sovereignty, whether that's um, 
helping them push back against an encroachment on their sovereignty that you have delegated them, or simply the sovereignty of finding out for yourself rather than simply being told, being led around by some government actor. You know, we often talk about the effects of COVID. The effects of COVID on the world were minimal. The effects of COVID on the United States was minimal. It was the effect of the people turning over their sovereignty to a government entity that has made this mess. The, the lockdowns, the shutdowns, the mandates, the inflation, the borrowing, all of it came from we the people failing to exercise the responsibility of our sovereignty and expecting government to do it for us. See, sovereignty is a weighty responsibility. And if we refuse to pick up that mantle, then someone else will enslave us with it. Now, I hope you'll come back and join us for the Constitution Study. We're heard every weekday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time on America Out Loud Talk Radio, heard on the iHeartRadio Network. If you can't listen then, all episodes go to podcasts generally a day or two after they're heard on talk radio. But please, subscribe to the show. Leave the episode's ratings and reviews. You can find all the links you need at the homepage at americaoutloud.news. But please, share them. Share this want knowledge. Share this wisdom. Share this understanding of sovereignty. And by doing so, Share the blessings of liberty.